Policy Beyond Borders. Welcome to Policy Beyond Borders, a podcast series on geopolitics and international relations by Center for Public Policy Research, CPPR, where we bring to you podcasts with insightful discussions and newer perspectives on a wide range of topics of contemporary relevance with experts to discuss, deconstruct, and advocate for things that matter. Podcast episodes of Policy Beyond Borders by CPPR are on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and on cppr.in. Hello everyone, this is Neelima, Associate Research from Center for Public Policy Research. Welcome to our IR podcast, Policy Beyond Borders. In this edition, we are discussing the unending conflict in Israel with a sudden attack by Hamas on October 7, 2023. Tune in and let's get started. A large-scale offensive and invasion was launched from the Gaza Strip by Hamas against Israel on October 7, 2023. The militant group broke the barrier of Gaza-Israel and forcefully entered the Israeli settlements and military installations via the Gaza border crossing. Opposition began in the daybreak by vehicles transported foray into Israel territory and rocket barrage in opposite to Israel. Multiple attacks were done on military bases and Israel's civil communities surroundings. This conflict has been referred to as the starting of a third Palestinian intifada by some of the observers as well. So today I am joined by Dr. Shelley Johnny, Senior Fellow, West Asian and Security Studies from CPPR. He is an Assistant Professor of Political Science at St. Aloysius College, Trishu. His research interests include contemporary West Asia with special emphasis on Arab Gulf states, Iran, Iraq, Hezbollah and the Afpak region. Welcome to Policy Beyond Border, Dr. Shelley. So there are reports and news uh, mentioning about the intelligence failure of Israel. According to the Times of Israel, the Egyptian official uh, said that uh, Egypt, which often served as a mediator between Israel and Hamas, had spoken repeatedly with Israelis about something big that is going to happen. Uh, So on the other side, Israel is also a country which is most developed in science and technology. So was this uh, a neglected purposefully by Netanyahu and does the internal political issue of Israel has anything to do with this Hamas attack? So first, thank you very much. Uh, I would like to thank CPPR for giving me the opportunity to take part in this uh, podcast. With regard to uh, the information that uh, Egypt had provided intelligence on a possible attack by Hamas to Israel, and the question if Israel deliberately ignored this uh, warning, uh, at the present juncture, it will be very difficult to confirm this uh, this aspect because of the lack of information, naturally since it will not be easily exposed. We know that Netanyahu vehemently denied that such a warning was received from Egypt. Now, considering the different possibilities, we can just try to reconstruct on what could have happened that led to the breach by Hamas of the security perimeter of the Gaza Strip. One event that was taking place was the increased clashes between Palestinians and uh, Israeli settlers in the West Bank, which led to the redeployment of a large number of IDF troops to the West Bank uh, area, which could have led to uh, a lessening of troop presence on the Gaza uh, perimeter. 
but we also have to uh, take this thing into account by looking at the larger developments that have been going on uh, since the previous few months especially the protests that were developing against uh, the Israeli uh, right-wing uh, Israeli government led by Benjamin Netanyahu, which is seen as one of the most right-wing government that is Israel has had in its uh, history. We need to question uh, if uh, these protests, which had also included uh, reservists of the IDF who said that they would desist from doing volunteer duty uh, for the IDF. And uh, the Israeli army chief and the Israeli Air Force uh, chief had uh, warned that uh, this unwillingness of Israeli reservists to serve on do volunteer duty for the IDF would impact on Israel's security. And Netanyahu had actually voiced his opposition to such comments by these armed forces chiefs. But what we have to understand is reservists are also used to guard the borders of Israel, including on the Gaza perimeter. So we do not know if... Uh, the shortage of reservists uh, in the IDF uh, had le uh, led to uh, lessening of the guarding of the Gaza perimeter. So in a, in a situation where there were clashes in West Bank between the Palestinians and the Israeli settlers, there, there was a diversion of these troops to West Bank in a situation where there was already a shortage of uh, reservists who were willing to do volunteer duty in the IDF. So we do not know if this had an impact on uh, on the security of uh, the perimeter. Now, when we look at, uh, with regard to the possibility of the Israeli government deliberately allowing this incursion to take place despite giving uh, a getting a warning from Egypt, we can only speculate on what could be the reason and how it could have take, how they could have managed to kind of allow this incursion to take place. As I mentioned earlier, it's very difficult to confirm at this point of time on what could have happened. Uh, one is uh, Israeli, Israel is facing an unprecedented uh, protests against the government. And in a desperate situation, uh, uh, Netanyahu could have, could have, I mean, we, we don't have any evidence uh, as of now, uh, could have thought that uh, an incursion from the Gaza Strip by Hamas could have redirected all of the focus on uh, this attack and would have kind of given leeway for the Israeli government because uh, the protests that are developing uh, or ongoing protests in Israel uh, has been, um, uh, it's, it's, uh, has taken place for the first time with a large number of people uh, and groups participating in this in these protests against the attempt of the uh, right-wing government of Israel to bring about judicial reforms which would place more hand power in the hands of the government. Uh, so uh, there was there were protests by uh, people of the armed forces as well, not just the reservists but even serving uh, members of the armed forces. So this was a very serious uh, situation. So uh, maybe allowing such an attack to take place could redirect uh, attention from these protests. And the hope that uh, any, uh, 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 you know, no one would notice the decisions that would have gone into taking, uh, that would have uh, been taken to allow the incursion to take place in the conflict situation that would develop as a result of this uh, incursion. But I would still say that would be a very desperate measure because there are very high risks involved because as we know, uh, uh, Israel's army is under civilian control. It's a democratic society. 
and uh, while serving members of the armed forces might not uh, uh, you know openly come out uh, providing information on decisions that were taken which would have allowed this uh, incursion to take place they can always in some ways orchestrate some kind of uh, leak of such information to the media and even the risk of uh, uh, you know, senior generals or officers who are privy to information on such a decision being taken place uh, could kind of expose something like this once they have retired from the services. But the Israeli government can always make a statement that uh, considering the, the the situation in the West Bank, the unwillingness of reservists uh, to uh, commit themselves to volunteer duties in the IDF, we had to divert resources from uh, the Gaza Strip to, uh, you know, the West Bank uh, uh, situation. So uh, th- that could be used as a cover, but uh, that would still be a very risky venture, if, if uh, personally, according to me. So it is very difficult to know if something like this has uh, really happened. Another criticism that Israel is facing right now, especially the Times of Israel has uh, come out with a report on how... Uh, uh, throughout the years, Israel has been moving away from an offensive kind of tactics to a defensive kind of posture, which has actually uh, uh, weakened Israel's offensive capabilities. For example, Israel's victories in its wars with the Arab nations have always been attributed to its uh, complex offensive maneuvers and its uh, quick responses uh, uh, to attacks by uh, Arab armies and attaining victories in enemy territory to securing for, uh, for securing Israel's security uh, and defense during uh, these wars. So it's uh, Israel's offensive uh, capabilities is what really helped it achieve its victories in these wars. This is this is the opinion. But what has happened is over the years, Israel has invested in uh, uh, kind of uh, security barriers and. Uh, uh, barbed wire fences and so on uh, to protect its borders with uh, neighboring countries like uh, Egypt, uh, Syria, Jordan, Lebanon and so on and also with territories like Northern West Bank and the Gaza Strip. This has meant that Israel has lost the initiative because the initiative always lies with someone who is planning an offensive. So this is the criticism that uh, Israel is facing and also the introduction of the Iron Dome uh, uh, ballistic missile defense system has also uh, created this defensive kind of posture of the uh, IDF, which has uh, kind of resulted in a situation where Israel has lost its offensive uh, capabilities. So the initiative was with Hamas to plan and conduct an attack. And so Hamas gained the initiative to uh, conduct this uh, attack. So this is what I think uh, could have happened from the Israeli side on uh, on why this attack could not be prevented, at least from whatever information that we have. Right, thank you. I think you have touched upon a lot of aspects which uh, Israel is facing as criticism as right now. And one of the main important aspects which you covered is how Israel's offensive capability has been reduced over the years. And that has been a opportunity for Hamas uh, for the attack that happened right now. 
So uh, coming to my next question, uh, in recent month, uh, we have uh, witnessed a lot of significant, important events in the region. Uh, one is the reconciliation between the Saudi Arabia and Iran, which is mediated by China and the United States near success in brokering an Israeli-Saudi deal. So however, in the aftermath of this recent attack, the dynamics have actually shifted drastically with Iran supporting Hamas and praising the attacks. Furthermore, Iran's Hezbollah has also claimed responsibility for an attack on an Israeli tanker near the Lebanese border just a few days ago. So with this sudden attack by Hamas, uh, could you provide some insights into the future of these developments that was happening in West Asia? So actually, uh, with regard to the impact of uh, Hamas's attack on uh, southern Israel, uh, on the ongoing negotiations between Saudi Arabia and Israel, uh, as far as I understand, uh, Saudi Arabia has uh, one of the conditions that Saudi Arabia has put forward is that the Palestinian issue should be recognized by the Israelis and uh, there should be a recognition that the two-state solution uh, should be uh, accepted, at least in the future, uh, as a solution to the Israel-Palestine uh, problem. But this was uh, in the understanding that uh, to a certain extent, Saudi Arabia's own national interests have become more important in this scenario where a larger number of Arab countries are seeking means to establish uh, diplomatic relations with Israel and safeguard their own interests. Saudi Arabia has a hindrance uh, uh, with regard to this issue because as the custodian of the two holiest places of Islam, Saudi Arabia has a leading role uh, in the Islamic world. Uh, and in the Arab world uh, as well. So it, it is supposed to uh, always ensure that it takes care of uh, the issues of Muslims all over the Islamic world uh, and especially pertaining to issues like the Palestine uh, issue. So Saudi Arabia has to be very careful when, when it uh, 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 kind of brokers a deal with Israel. It shouldn't be seen as compromising the interests of Muslims uh, worldwide for its own uh, national interests. But to a certain extent, the development of relations between the different Arab countries with Israel has given, had given uh, Saudi Arabia the confidence to pursue this uh, path, putting forward its own interests while uh, trying to ensure that uh, the Palestinian issue is still considered as uh, important. Now, as far as the Hamas uh, is concerned, um, this attack, uh, one of the reasons that is, that is being stated uh, by various observers that, uh, on why Hamas conducted this attack is to send out the message that the Palestinian issue is still relevant, that it cannot be put on the back burner uh, and uh, Arab Muslim countries cannot pursue their individual interests at the cost of the Palestinian issue. This is one of the reasons that is being described as the attack conducted by uh, uh, Hamas. So uh, what could have happened, the impact of this attack and the kind of uh, success that the attack, uh, the kind of devastating blow that it has uh, uh, caused uh, to Israel is likely to create a lot of groundswell of support for Hamas, not just among Palestinians, but among uh, Arab Muslim countries uh, who might not have been in a position to uh, a kind of demand from the rulers of the Arab states that the Palestinian issue should be uh, seen as a priority. Now, this 
this uh, scenario has developed where what we call quote unquote the arab street can uh, force the arab rulers to uh, put the palestinian issue on a priority basis so this is one impact that uh, could ha- uh, which could uh, have uh, uh, you know the impact that it can have on the saudi israel negotiations so in the short term uh, we we might see a disruption in the negotiations and um, but in the long term i believe that saudi arabia would still want to uh, uh, have a normalizing of relations with uh, israel uh, but th- the situation can be more complicated if uh, iran somehow gets uh, if there is evidence pointing out iranian support for hamas's attack point 1 point 2 if the conflict spreads uh, to uh, uh, Lebanon, that is between Israel and the Hezbollah group, then this can strongly involve Iran's involvement as well. This would create more complexities and more complications for Saudi Arabia because now then you will have the possibility that Iran would get much more wider support from the Muslim world in the conflict with Israel. and saudi arabia would not want to be then seen as trying to side with israel and the united states so this could complicate matters for uh, saudi arabia if this conflict spreads further and it uh, involves uh, hezbollah and even iran if if uh, it develops into such a scenario as far as i understand um, hezbollah used uh, 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 a guided missile against an armored personnel carrier of APC of the uh, IDF uh, on the Lebanese uh, border, and there is like ongoing retaliation uh, for this attack, and uh, you know uh, rockets fired by uh, Hezbollah, or mortars. Uh, it began with uh, using of mortars by uh, Hezbollah. So Israel is using its. Uh, Uh, using air strikes to target uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, and I believe some infiltrators were also killed. Uh, 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 infiltrators from the Lebanese side uh, were killed by the Israeli armed forces. So we do not know how the situation is going to develop. But what I feel is Hezbollah will always take into account the situation in Lebanon before deciding to decisively step into a conflict with Israel. because they have their own dynamics within uh, in lebanese politics so they would always take those things into account before uh, stepping up uh, uh, military action against uh, israel so we will have to wait and see how the situation develops and um, we always need to understand that more than the military uh, responses and military actions that that is likely to take place it is more likely to have an impact on the long term political uh, developments in the region and the diplomacy uh, of the region so we will have to see how the the military because always what happens is uh, there is always a tendency to come back to the status quo that is israel still remaining in control and uh, the hamas uh, kind of maybe uh, uh, if there is a ground incursion uh, into gaza strip the hamas can be uh, heavily weakened Uh, and then israel withdraws back into its own territory and a conflict with hezbollah again can uh, then finally goes back to the status quo but the longer term impact is always on the political development and the diplomatic uh, situation in the wider region so we'll have to wait and watch on what uh, turn the military actions uh, will take
thank you so much on that note uh, you have uh, highlighted uh, how geopolitics is changing in the region with this attack and uh, now when we shift to the uh, from the geopolitics when we shift to the energy markets uh, the conflict between israel and hamas has always raised concerns about the global energy markets so israel despite being uh, not being a major oil producer and lacking significant international oil infrastructure in the cross proximity uh, to the gaza strip or the southern israel iran's involvement in this situation has the potential to disrupt the global energy market so uh, additionally with uh, israel's substantial natural gas industry particularly the temporary closure of the tamar offshore field how does this impact the international investment in israel's energy sector um uh, one thing that uh, the the closure of uh, the uh, the offshore uh, natural uh, offshore uh, natural gas uh, field uh, by israel um it can affect mostly its domestic supplies and i believe that some supplies are also going to egypt and jordan so um what could happen is uh, maybe an emergency can be declared and uh, israel can allocate some of these uh, uh, natural gas uh, supplies to whoever wants uh, Uh, access to these supplies within israel uh but otherwise uh, when we look at the larger impact if iran's role is proved in hamas's attack in uh, southern israel uh there could be a reimposition of sanctions on israel i mean iran's oil exports which have been uh, in the past 6 months has been a rise in iran's uh, oil exports and it has reached uh, levels uh, i think which were uh, which were there at least 4 years ago so um iran's uh, exports are rising i mean oil exports are rising right now but if uh, there is a, a sanctions are reimposed on uh, israel i mean iran uh, then uh, saudi arabia might have to reverse its policy of cutting uh, uh, down of its uh, uh, oil uh, output and might have to increase its oil output uh, because it had unilaterally decided that it would cut down its uh, oil exports uh, so that uh, policy could be re- reversed if there is a shortage of uh, oil in the market but we do not know for sure what is how things are likely to develop but uh, if the conflict spreads as i mentioned earlier uh, then it will have a much more impact on on the oil uh, market as of now we can see that there hasn't been much of an impact because of this Uh, the expected impact has not taken place on oil markets right now so but the situation can change if this spreads uh, the conflict spreads into the wider region and uh, iran's exports uh, the sanctions are imposed on iran's exports and thereby impacting on uh, uh, the oil market okay thank you uh, so now uh, we cannot neglect india's response to this uh, conflict so india's response to the israel hamas conflict actually came through two tweets uh, from the prime minister narendra modi uh, the two tweets condemned uh, terrorism and expressed solidarity with israel so india has actually maintained friendly ties with both israel and the palestinian side and has seen its relationship with israel grow rapidly in the recent years so what challenges might india face in maintaining a balance between its relations with israel and palestinians particularly as a cooperation uh, with israel expands and the conflict escalates in future 
uh, one thing that uh, one interesting point that was observed was uh, Prime Minister's statement that he supports uh, Israel. Uh, whereas uh, just now uh, recently we have had the uh, statement by the Ministry of External Affairs, the Indian Ministry of External Affairs, that they do accept uh, Israel, uh, uh, the uh, creation of a Palestinian state, which has been India's traditional position. So we can see some kind of a demarcation out here where the Prime Minister makes statements uh, uh, you know, in support of Israel, whereas the Ministry of External Affairs kind of comes out with a statement that uh, India has not shifted its position on uh, its support for the creation of Palestinian state. So we can see an inter interesting uh, demarcation uh, out there. But uh, what I would say is that India has wholeheartedly uh, supported the Abraham Accords and uh, it has supported the development of relations between Israel and the Arab Gulf states, especially UAE and Bahrain. And it also supports uh, that uh, the, uh, the negotiations between Saudi Arabia and uh, Israel. But it uh, always uh, we have to keep in mind that keeping in mind our na uh, interests in West Asia, we always need to uh, keep in mind that uh, the Palestinian issues are still very uh, a very uh, influential issue even uh, even now in the Arab world, and um, it can create political the, the recent attack can create political conditions where Arab leaders themselves might have to backtrack on uh, 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 you know completely ignoring the Palestinian issue and pursuing relations with Israel. Uh, which might create complications for India's diplomacy uh, in the region. So we need to understand that the Palestinian issue is, is still vital uh, for the region and it is in India's best interests that negotiations are uh, uh, resumed uh, between the two sides, between especially between the Israelis and the Palestinians and that no amount of relations that Israel builds with, Arab, uh, with other Arab countries is going to push this issue into the back burner. It is not uh, going to create a stable uh, uh, West Asian peace uh, and it can always cause hurdles for India's diplomacy in the region. So what India should encourage is direct negotiations between uh, Israel and the Palestinians, which doesn't seem to be, and nothing seems to be happening right now. It is in uh, the long-term interest of India that uh, direct negotiations take place between uh, Israel and the Palestinians because no amount of uh, normalizing of relations between uh, Israel and the Arab states, excluding the Palestinians, is going to bring about long-term peace in the region. And long-term peace in the region is in the interest of India's uh, diplomacy. That is what I would like to Thank you for that thought on how India should encourage direct negotiation between Israel and Palestine for maintaining a good relation in the region. And uh, coming to my last question, uh, what path can Israel and Palestine take to resolve their conflict and what are the potential solutions available to address this solution as of now? Um, one of the, uh, the first thing that we must accept is that uh, the peace negotiations are dead. The Oslo Accord is dead right now. It has reached a point where uh, it has become thoroughly meaningless because the intention was to uh, was a two-state uh, solution. 
uh, with Israel's encroaching of uh, territories, uh, expanding settlements uh, in West Bank and East Jerusalem. This has meant that uh, the two-state solution is, is almost unworkable and uh, it has become very difficult to even think of a two-state solution uh, right now. So now many commentators are uh, pointing out that uh, the only solution is a single uh, nation state where uh, uh, Israelis and Palestinians can live together as equal citizens in one single state. That is the solution, uh, that is the only solution that is being put forward increasingly by many observers because what they're saying is uh, the two-state uh, solution has uh, failed. Uh, now, complicating the matters further is the polarization, the divisions and polarization uh, that is taking place within Israeli society and among the Palestinians. The polarization has divided both sides extremely. Uh, Israel is going through a major domestic political crisis uh, and the divisions are very big. So this again makes it very difficult for the beginning of negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians and among the Palestinians the division between Fatah that is the, the main political uh, faction within the Palestinian Liberation Organization and the Hamas uh, which is ruling uh, Gaza Strip. So uh, the PLO is uh, the Palestinian administration led by the PLO is in uh, charge of uh, areas under its control in the West Bank. So this division is also a serious problem. Attempts to create a unity government have also failed. No elections have been held in uh, uh, Palestinian legislative elections have not been held since 2006. Uh, there is growing uh, disenchantment uh, among Palestinians against the Palestinian Authority because of its ineffectiveness, corruption and its uh, autocratic uh, uh, policies. So uh, the Palestinians themselves are heavily divided and there are uh, new groups, uh, militant groups coming up formed by young Palestinians who are frustrated by the fact that the established, uh, established uh, political uh, organizations are not able to make any momentum with regard to uh, the, uh, the problem with uh, Israel. So this is a very, very complicated situation right now and uh, it seems very unlikely that uh, direct negotiations are likely to take place uh, among both sides because of the divisions and polarization uh, existing on, on uh, both sides. But as I mentioned, uh, the solution is only uh, uh, that direct negotiations between the two sides, uh, only that can lead to uh, a long-lasting peace. Another thing that I would like to add is the existing global order led by the United States is also not favorable for uh, supporting uh, peace negotiations between the two sides because uh, we have increasingly seen that America is not being able to be an honest broker uh, with regard to the negotiations between the Israelis and the Palestinians. So uh, the global order led by the United States uh, provides some kind of impunity for the Israelis to uh, expand its land grabbing and settlements in the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Uh, the, the international community and the United Nations is not able to uh, provide any kind of push or uh, imaginative solutions uh, for 
kickstarting the negotiations between the two sides. So the existing global order is contributing to this problem between the Israelis and the Palestinians. One hope that I have is the increasing uh, domestic political crisis in uh, Israel is going to convince increasingly larger number of Israeli citizens that the increasing uh, power and influence of the religious right in Israeli politics and the consequences that it is going to have on Israel's democracy is directly related to the occupation of the Palestinian territories. Uh, the occupation is actually fueling the rise of the religious right in Israeli politics. And if increasing number of Israeli citizens can are able to make this connect strongly, uh, at, the, at, the, at the present time there are no signs that this, uh, there is a, an attempt to link these two issues by the larger uh, number of uh, people and groups who are taking part in these protests against the right-wing government. That connect is still not being made. But hopefully, a larger number of Israeli citizens will realize that a democratic Israel can only exist with a solution to the Palestinian issue. This might create a groundswell of support for uh, restarting the negotiations uh, with the Palestinians. So that is what I hope uh, that, uh, uh, that is likely to uh, happen. Thank you. Uh, so thank you, Dr. Shelley, for such an engaging conversation. We have covered uh, various aspects uh, and implications with respect to this war, ranging from geopolitics, energy, diplomacy, etc. With that, we have come to the end of this episode. Get ready for another episode that will really make you think, diving into strategically and geopolitically relevant issue across the globe. Until then, it's me, Neelima, signing off. Listen to our podcast series, Policy Beyond Borders by CPPR on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts and also on the CPPR website www.cppr.in.